Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. from the basement of the old Warren County Courthouse. And behind me is a room where suspects are interrogated before they are arrested and thrown into jail. Apostle Paul and Silas have been thrown into jail there in the city of Philippi. But God had other plans when he miraculously freed them from their confinement. Yet they didn't run away. When the Philippian jailer rushed in full of fear and awe at what had just happened, he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And their answer back was, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. That very night, the jailer and his entire family believed on Jesus and were saved and baptized. Can you imagine God using you to see an entire household saved? As we take the gospel to every home, God has done it before and can do it again, just like this story. The gospel came to my home in 1997. You know, the house that I grew up in was a great family, a great house to grow up in, but we just never went to church. But people in my community were faithful to get the gospel to me and my family, um, get me to vacation Bible school, get me to church camp, take me to church. And in 1997, the Lord saved me. Um, but he didn't stop there, and this is the neat thing. He continued to work through my family, kind of like the Philippian jailer. Well, his whole family was saved in one night. It didn't happen in one night with my family, but over the course of two decades, God was faithful to save my entire birth family. So me in 1997, and then he saved my brother, Matt, in 2003. And then a few years later, I had the opportunity to to baptize my mom in 2014 after she had trusted Christ. And the big one was in 2015 when my dad trusted Christ as a Savior. And we had the privilege of baptizing him right down at Romanza Johnson Park. And so again, it didn't happen overnight, but God was faithful to work through our entire family. That's the power of the gospel. God is so good. Eastwood, we are just three weeks away from our Gospel to Every Home Distribution Day on July 25th. Please grab a partner and sign up to distribute gospel gift bags to homes right here in our community. Let's take the gospel to every home and pray that God would save not only individuals, but entire families. That's probably uh, probably one of my favorite stories that um, I think I've ever heard. Uh, been been shared when we when I first we my family moved here, coming up on four years ago. Uh, obviously, we're just trying to get to know each other and uh, telling kind of stories about family stories. And I remember just uh, Ben sharing that story about his family coming to faith, and uh, it's just an it's it's got to be one of the coolest things ever, right? Like it's just an incredible story. We've talked a lot um, about the gospel to every home over these past four weeks, and one of the things that's been really, really interesting to me every single week as we've shot the videos and, and um, edited the videos, it's, it's just incredible to me, and we, I said this last week and I'll say it again this week, is the, um, uh, it's just how encouraging it has been to see people come to faith in Christ as adults. 
And we've, we've heard the statistics before and everything about, you know, you, certain age, it's really difficult. After a kid, after, after you turn 18 years old, the statistics tell us that after 18, like, the window closes on people coming to faith in Christ. It's just, unfortunately, that's just the statistic. But every single week for four weeks, every single week is adult transformation. Adult transformation. And here in a couple of, uh, here in a couple of Sundays, we're going to be, we're going to be leaving Eastwood and we're going to be walking out into our neighborhood different uh, different streets, different roads, and we're going to be handing out um, just some information about our church and about the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the way to salvation. That's what we're going to do. We're going to be handing those out uh, in a couple of weeks and to see that we're not just targeting kids. This isn't vacation Bible school, but to see that we are targeting homes, targeting families, that people would be saved, that, that the Simpson family is is not the last of the story. Like, there's thousands more here in Bowling Green that need to hear the gospel. And we get to do that. We get to partner up. So here in a couple of weeks, Gospel at Every Home, we're going to leave on a Sunday afternoon, partners of two, or maybe a family. My whole crew is going to do it. We're going to go out. We're going to hit a few homes, and we're going to try to see if we can, uh, we can meet some people. If we can't meet them, we'll hang something on the door and, uh, and pray for the, the house and move on. It's going to be a pretty simple, easy thing for us to do, but God has got it. Uh, got a purpose that this weekend, on this particular weekend, July 25th, that Sunday afternoon, that we're going to go out and we are going to uh, reach our community with the gospel. And over the course of this year, every single person in the state of Kentucky, that's the goal, is going to have heard about the name of Jesus. All four million of us, we're going to hear the name of Jesus uh, because of the efforts of uh, churches in the state of Kentucky. You're going to go out. Every home in Kentucky is planned to be reached with the gospel in the year 2021. So it's an exciting thing to be a part of. You get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. And I hope you will join us in that. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in a couple of different things. We're going to mosey around a bit throughout Scripture. So if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Acts chapter 8. But hold your finger there and then hang a left. Acts chapter 8, hang a left. Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to begin. You guys are very familiar with Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Um, as a believer, as a Christian, and as a Southern Baptist church is what we are. A Baptist, like we are Great Commission people. At least we claim to be, right? We love the Great Commission. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 28, go down to verse 18, familiar to you. Maybe you've got it memorized. And Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Dr. Seuss wrote a book a while ago. Dr. Seuss is my reading level, my, prefer, my preferred reading level. Um, but uh, you guys have either read it or you have given it away. Every May, we give these books away called, Oh, the Places You Go. I've got a copy of it. My aunt gave it to me when I graduated high school back in the day. And uh, it was just a couple years ago. And... Um, then I have given the book away. I have read it. And it's a great little story. Basically, it's just a, it's a, it's an encouraging book um, that starts out kind of happy, you know, and then it kind of says, you're going to hit hard times, but have no fear, persevere, you're going to come through on the other end. Oh, the places you go is, it's like, it's just kind of life. Where is life going to lead you? When I was 16 years old, I came to know Jesus at a Billy Graham crusade that was coming through my hometown. Prior to that, I thought I was a Christian for a long time, and I was not. I remember sitting down in the Billy Graham crusade and sitting there, and, and, and God kind of laughing at me. You ever, like, when you, um, when you try to tell somebody about what God's doing in your life, isn't it like the weirdest thing in the world? 
Like, how do you explain something that's really unexplainable? Now, for you and I, when I say that God was doing something in my heart, and he was, the Holy Spirit was at work in his business in my heart, like, you get it, because many of y'all have been there. But if, unless you've been there, unless you've experienced it, it's really, really hard to try to explain somebody to somebody about what God's doing in your heart. And I'm sitting there at the Billy Graham crusade, and God's just tearing me up. Like, he's just, I, I, honestly, this is what I felt. I honestly felt like he was laughing at me, not in a bad way. He was just kind of chuckling and saying, you think you know me, but you have no idea who I am. You know my name. You know what I'm about. You've sat in church for a few years. My, my family, we were unchurched. We didn't grow up churched. And so you've done all these things, like you've done the church thing, but you do not know me. You have no relationship with me. So at 16 years old, I sit there at this Billy Cram crusade at, at Bartlesville Wesleyan College, my hometown in Oklahoma, like sat there. And I realized at that moment that I needed Jesus, that I was a sinner lost and going to hell, that I needed Jesus. And I repented of my sin at 16 years old. Now, when I was four years old, I kid you not, at four years old, I wanted to grow up and be an architect. That's all I wanted in life. I wanted to be an architect, I wanted to build buildings, and I wanted to drive a Ferrari F40. That was my plan at four years old. I, my, hometown is, uh, my hometown is famous for really one thing, it's oil and gas. Um, Frank Phillips, or Phillips 66, was, was uh, my hometown, that's where the, the headquarters were for the longest time. Well, Frank Phillips was really good friends with this, this architect named Frank Lloyd Wright. Frank Lloyd Wright built a building in my hometown, and I drove by it every single day, and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to build buildings. That's what I want to do. So at 16 years old, I get saved, and God begins to go, whoop, 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 a little bit, little bit of a change deal. We're going to mix things up. And for the next two years, I began to wrestle, not really, didn't, you know, wasn't decided Oklahoma, um, OU University, you know, you know, it wasn't me. I didn't want to do that. I didn't know what I was going to do. And at the age of 18, I go on a ski trip with my youth group to Colorado. We go, we're sitting in the bus. It's a long drive. Even from Oklahoma, it's still a long drive. And so we're, we're driving. And I remember I was a new, fairly new Christian trying to get serious about my faith, but still being stupid. I was still, still a stupid high school boy. And, and I remember sitting in this van, this van, there's a guy here named Brian Fuller. Brian Fuller, we knew each other a little bit from school, but he went to a different church, didn't know him much, that much, but he wanted to go on a ski trip. And he came on the ski trip. And I honestly believe that Brian Fuller was on the ski trip for the sole purpose of me. That was it. He wanted to have fun. He didn't know it, but he wanted to, God said, hey, you're going you're gonna to intervene in this guy's life. And so Brian and I sat there and we talked for 12 hours up and 12 hours back about the Bible, about Jesus stuff. And I thought in my mind, how in the world can a guy who was 18 years old, how is it that he could know so much about the Bible and be such a serious, committed Christian? Because don't people who know the Bible, aren't they all older and have white hair? That's what I thought at 18 years old. Like, because that's the only way you know it, because you've just been it, you just kind of lived it. One of the things I realized, and you may realize this too, the reason why Brian Fuller knew the Bible as much as he did is because he read it. He just spent time reading the Bible. That's all he did. And it was a challenge. So we talked for 12 hours, and it just challenged me in this, in, in between winter break, you know, in between Christmas and New Year's, before school started back, it challenged me to sit there and read my Bible. So in January 1, I decided I'm going to, January 1, I'm going to read my Bible for a month every day. I'm going to read as much of it as I can every single day. And for an entire month, I read the Bible, and I really felt that that, that month, um, that January, that that's when God said, this is what I want from you. And so um, that's when I felt like God had called me to vocational ministry, that I'm going to do this forever. And I go to my mom, and my mom's probably never going to watch this on live stream. Um, she will actually, she'll probably, it'll be like 30,000 views and she'll have watched it 29,000 times. Um, I love my mother. But my mom, I went and asked her and I said, mom, I said, I don't think I want to do the architecture thing. I really think God has called me to ministry. And she was just, why would you want to do that? You can't make any money doing that. Now we grew up poor and money was a big thing. 
Um, she's like, I don't know how you're going to support a life, a family, a kid, being a preacher. And I just sit there, and as an 18-year-old who didn't know any better, just kind of like, I don't know, Mom. We're going to, this is how it's going to be. Like, I'm sure God can handle this, you know? And so then my dreams of architecture died, and the dream of doing vocational church work ministry uh, was born. But I, you would have asked me when I turned 16, or when I got saved at 16 years old, what I was going to do with my life. I still wouldn't have said I was going to do what I'm doing. I went to Oklahoma Baptist University, I uh, was going to do youth ministry, and there are a lot of weird people at Christian schools. I don't know if you know this. I was only a Christian for two years going into it. I didn't know all the lingo. I didn't know the culture, nothing. I go in there, and they had this thing called Welcome Week where you go in and you would sit and you would talk about you know, life and what you wanted to do and why you were here, and it was great. We had a lot of fun. I remember meeting this girl one time. Um, she was in uh, uh, one of the groups that I was, I was with, and they were talking, what do you want to do? She's like, I came here to be a missionary. I was like, well, that's really cool. And she goes, yes, I want to burn at the stake for Jesus. And I was like, whoa, hey a second. You know, that's a little bit weird. That's a little bit weird. I, like, I don't know about that. Like, uh, is that what happens? Like, how does this work? And so she said that. And I remember, like, I remember her name. I remember where we were. It was like it almost happened yesterday. And the next guy was like, yes, I want to be a missionary too. I want to put a backpack on and I want to trape. I just want to just trek through China Going from people group to people group, backpacking through China, just telling them about Jesus. Like, man, these people are weird. Weird. I want to load up a bunch of students on a bus and go to Six Flags. That's what I want to do. That's my type of ministry I'm into. That was the, God, that was the path that God had placed for them. And I've, I, I'll never forget, uh, about six years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to lead a, a team to China. Um, it took five guys and we were going to rule China. Uh, th- there's nothing around this place. Uh, and I remember uh, <laughs> walking up to the top of this, this hill that we were traping through. I had a backpack on. And we were, we were literally hiking through China, telling people about Jesus at every little small town that we could find. And I remember sitting there going, well, I've turned into that guy. You know, here I am. Like, who knows the places in which we will go for the gospel? And what God has planned for you. I never thought I'd be in Kentucky. I grew up in Oklahoma. I thought I was going to be there for, my, for life. My first time to Kentucky, I drove through it. My second time was being interviewed at, for a position at a job up in Owensboro here. My wife's first time to Kentucky was whenever we were called to the church in Owensboro that we served in for five years. Like, Kentucky wasn't on our map, but by the grace of God, he has brought us to where we're at. Where we at. Thank you. Where we're at. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're doing. Where he's going to take us, where he's going to lead us. Acts chapter 8 is a pretty similar story. Let me kind of give you some, uh, some, contact, some context. This story about a, a guy named Philip is where we're going to be kind of landing on. Um, the church at this point is, is starting to face severe persecution. Tons of persecution. And if you look at Acts chapter 8... Let me turn over there real quick. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, <laughs> starts it out. And Saul approved of his execution. This is talking about Stephen in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen was stoned to death. Saul, for, soon to be called Paul, is killing Christians. And a lot of people like him, going around killing Christians. The persecution is severe, it is rampant, and it is everywhere. But take out the next line. And those arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions. 
The church here is scattered. Philip finds himself as one who is scattered. He's preaching and he's teaching. Now, I don't know if this Philip was around when Jesus gave the Great Commission. We can say he was. We can say he was. It doesn't really matter. Jesus' words had traveled uh, quite well. But Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 to everybody who's listening at the time. And he says, go and make disciples. Now, oftentimes when I was growing up, I was always told that this go is a command. This is a command of you to go and to make disciples. So we are commanded to go and make disciples. This is not a command. This is not a command. This is a commission. The word, so the, the word go is not an imperative in Scripture. It's not a command. It's not an authoritative action. He is not saying that the, 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 the word go in the Greek is a participle. It's going. And it doesn't mean it's not a command for you to go. It's a, it's a, it's a term basically in a phrase that they use to say as you go. Since you're going anyway, that direction, make disciples. That's the intent of the Great Commission. It's not a command. It's not Jesus is telling, I don't do a whole, I don't really, sometimes, I don't know if you'll have an issue. I got an issue with authority sometimes, and I don't like being told what to do. I'm pretty good at doing what I'm told, I will say that, but there are sometimes I just don't like being told what to do. Jesus did not command us. If it was, it would say at the heading, the great command. This is the great commission. He is giving us a job. He is telling us what it is that he would like for us to do. I'm commissioning you for this service. This is like standing up here for vacation Bible school and we're commissioning you to be a missionary. You're going to, this is what you are going to do. You are going to go and preach the gospel. And so the whole idea here is this, is like as you go, preach the gospel. Philip was scattered like many other Christians was scattered at the time. Jesus knew this. This wasn't too long after the Great Commission was given. Acts 8 didn't happen too long. We're talking a relatively short amount of time as it happened. And as you go, you're about ready to be scattered. You're about ready to send all over the known world. And as you go, preach the gospel. That's how the gospel came to you and I, was that somebody back in, you know, 2,000 years ago scattered and took the gospel with them. And so he goes and says, as you go. So how does this apply to us? It's simple. As you go to work in the morning, for those of you who actually go to work in the morning and not have the day off, as you go to work in the morning, you make a disciple. You preach the gospel. As you leave this place, as you go, you get in your car and you go stand in line at Olive Garden. As you go, you make a disciple. As you have children, you make a disciple. It's not a command, it's a commission. He's commissioning us as Christians, you are missionaries, and when we are scattered, when we go about our different directions, we go and we make disciples. So here you have Philip. In the previous chapter, or in the previous section, I guess, of this chapter, um, Philip um, encounters a Simon the magician, and they have a little bit of an encounter. And at the end of that thing, um, Philip is a part of preaching. He's a part of teaching mass groups, large groups is where he's at. He's got all this stuff. They're healing people. Like everybody's getting saved. It's like an incredible worship service. Things, miracles and wonders are happening. And Philip is a part of all this stuff. Part of it all. He's seen it all. Philip is not the disciple. Philip is just a simple guy who was asked to be a deacon in the church, who was who was being obedient to God and said, wherever you send me, I'll go. And he has done it. And we have this story. Acts chapter 8, 
Verse 28, follow along as I read, if you would. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, the one that you have in your Bible. So Philip, uh, so the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading, saying, the prophet, um, uh, so I heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep that was uh, like a sheep, he was led to slaughter like a lamb before its shearer is silent. He opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. He told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And he baptized him. It's an incredible story about what God has done. Now, take a look at the very first, in verse 28, right at the beginning of it. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, he said, rise and go. Here are the imperatives. This isn't, well, as you're rising and as you're going, do these things. These are imperatives, an authoritative to command to rise and go. Now, it's interesting they use the word rise. The rise here in Scripture is used in several different ways. It's used by Jesus when he says, when he tells a paralytic to, to rise, take up your mat, and walk. Same word, same thing. It also, which is what, the way I kind of enjoy the uh, uh, kind of this interpretation of it, it also could very well be, it's also used in the same sense of an pr- attitude of prayer. So like he was potentially praying. No, I like to look at it a little bit speculative, and I think it's okay. We're not, not no heretic, uh, no heresy going on here. But potentially was at some position, he had to get up from where he was. I tend to think that he was possibly praying. He had just done all this stuff. I've seen all this cool stuff. Big, big crowds, preaching, teaching, healing, miracles, wonders, all those things happening. And he comes to this place where he's just by himself. He's hanging out. I tend to think he's probably exhausted, tired, and he's just spending some time with Jesus is what I like to think. And God tells him to rise, to get up, and to go. And he tells him where to go. These are commands. There was no messing with this. This is the angel of the Lord says, you're going to do this. And he said, oh, gotcha, I'm going to do it. Because I've been commanded to do it. So he gets up and he goes, and who does he have an encounter with? He has an encounter with an Ethiopian. You see, Philip had done the crowds. He had been in a church service. He had preached and he had taught and they had done all the cool stuff like that. And then he was removed from this big scene, this big event. And then God then was focused in on this one person. He was moved from a path of many to a path of one. He was told to go. I think he had the easiest, and maybe you have a different one, but he probably had the easiest gospel conversation ever recorded in Scripture right? So the guy's reading Isaiah, reading Isaiah 53, which is the prophecy about Jesus and his death. 
The guy doesn't understand it, looks over to Philip and says, do you understand this? And he's like, I do. He's like, well, can you tell me? He's like, I can. And so they got up in the chariot and they spent the who knows how much time talking to each other about Jesus. Easiest gospel segue ever. And isn't that the hardest part about us when we talk about the gospel and sharing the gospel? We want to have some like clean way of you know, trying to get into the gospel. How can we get into this conversation? And we don't want to just be like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. We want, we want a, um, uh, you know, oh, I love the color of, your, your dog's color is red. You know what else is red? The blood of Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Like, we want some easy segue type of a thing. It's like we want, I think a lot of times that prevents us. I don't know how I'm going to get into this. No preventing Philip, right? It's just super, super easy. He got it, he nailed it. He got it in there. And he begins to share the gospel with the Ethiopian. I've never had a gospel conversation uh, go that easy. They're a little bit more. I've had some easy ones, but there always been. There's always a little bit of a challenge. There's a similar story as a pastor's name's Ian Thomas. Ian Thomas had just preached a revival or someplace. Was preaching at a conference, teaching at a conference. Been around a lot of people, and he's getting on this plane. He's flying back, and. He just tells the Lord, like, I don't know if you've ever been, first of all, if you're tired, first of all, if you're on a plane, I don't know if you like even talking to people anyway, um, but especially when you've had a busy week, a hard week, you're into something and you have to fly back. The last thing I want to do is talk to anybody. I want to put my headphones in. I want to watch the, the on, what, see what movies they have on the in-flight stuff and just be gone. Like, I don't want anything to do with it. Well, he says it before he gets on this plane, because he's a good Christian, good preacher. Uh, pastor guy. He says, like, Lord, whatever happens, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. Whatever happens, though, if you open up the opportunity for me to, to preach uh, or to, to share the gospel with somebody, I will do it. And lo and behold, he sits down next to a dude, and he, the guy, um, he pulls out his own book. He was reading a book. wasn't even a Jesus book. He was sitting there um, reading it, and the guy taps him on the shoulder, and he says, listen, I'm reading the Bible. I'm in John chapter 3. I don't understand anything do you know anything about the Bible? <laughs> and he just kind of laughed and he says, as a matter of fact, I do. And if you know anything about the Bible, John chapter 3, let's do it, right? You don't get but 16 verses in and you've got, for God so loved the world. Like, that's where you're at. Like, this is easy. And he never said in the story whether the guy came to faith or not, but they, saw, they talked the entire flight about the Bible and he began to explain it to him. Now, I would love for that to happen. That would be great. It doesn't happen that way. But Philip had the easiest gospel conversation he could have ever had. One of the things that we do within our student ministry and have done that for the last 10 years um, in our ministry is we do, um, we've, we kind of come up with this, I don't know, this little, uh, I don't want to call it a program, initiative is what we'll call it, uh, but we call it Pick One. So one of the things that we have done within our student ministry over the past 10 years in different places that we've served, uh, technically 15 years, we have, um, we do this Pick One. We're trying to create a culture where our students are um, are concerned about the lost, are concerned about lost people. We all have lost people. There are 100, what, 110, 130,000 people in our county, right? The vast majority of them are lost. And when, God, when Jesus tells us to go and make disciples, that's a daunting task for one person to look at and say, okay, I need to win 100 plus thousand people to Jesus, like, it's daunting. It's overwhelming. I don't, I don't do well when I get overwhelmed. I kind of shut down, right? And so, but if we all tag teamed it together and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick one. I'm just going to get one person. That's all I'm going to need. So we encourage our students, one person over the course of a school year, to, to find somebody who doesn't know Jesus, who's far from God, to pray for them, to build a relationship with them, and share the gospel with them. That's all we ask of them. We call it pick one. Because we need people concerned. We need our students concerned we need us Christians concerned with the one. 
Just one. God took Philip away from mass crowds and brought him to one person. A guy who was obviously able to handle a mass crowd, God took away from that and gave him to one person. Because God loves the individual as much as he loves the multitudes. We see this over and over and over again. We see this in Luke chapter 15. We're familiar with that. We're familiar with the lost sheep, right? The guy's going to go find it. We're familiar with the lost coin. The woman's going to find it, right? The prodigal son story is the lost son story. Like it's about one. Each one of these things, God is very much concerned with the one. And he's put us all on the path for one. So we look at Philip, and he was commanded, commanded with the imperative to go to this one person. I tell my kids to clean their room all the time. You've been there? You ever tell them to go clean their room and not check up on them? I think they look forward to those. I think after a while, they just wear it down. Like, go clean your room. Okay, Dad, they run upstairs. I think they just stomp on the ground, bang, bang stuff. And they go, we did it, Dad. We did it. I'm like, great. I'm so tired of having to walk up the stairs and look. I'm just going to take your word for it. I think they get used to that. And they, they kind of play us on that. Well, the other day, I asked them to go clean the room, and I went up there to, to check. And I think you could see the fear on their face. He's going to check. And uh, went up there, and... Um, it wasn't done. It was done to their standards, but it wasn't done to my standards. I don't know how this happens. I don't know if this happened at your house, and if you have little ones, it will probably happen at your house one day. Um, do your, my kids get raptured out of their clothes. It is unbelievable. Like, and by, like, I went up there the other day, asked them to clean their room. They had kicked all their clothes to the hamper instead of picking it up into the hamper, like, and then after we had, I, I stayed up there and I cleaned it all. I cleaned the room with them. It looked good, at least the dad's standards. It may not have passed mom's standards, but it worked. It was better. It was fine. It smelled okay. Like everything was going okay. I go up here that night to pray with my kids and uh, to bedroom. And one of my kids, it's like they had been raptured out of their clothes. I don't know how they did it. Like shorts were piled up. The shirt was piled up right on top of it. Like they just kind of weaseled their way out of the neck hole, which is probably a good possibility with kids. They're like, I wonder if I can do this. And so they, and it just was all on top of itself. They step out of it and then they go jump in bed right next to the hamper. So the command, my command to go and clean your room, it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. God has commanded us, like as he has done Philip's, uh, with Philip, to rise and go. The question we have and the thing that we have to wrestle with and deal with is, are we going to be obedient? My kids, every time I ask them to do something and I command them in the imperative to go, you know, clean up your room, go do the dishes, it's an imperative. It's an authoritative command to go. They can choose whether they want the consequence of not doing it or they're just going to be obedient. Philip was told to rise and go, and he did so. On April 25th, I'm sorry, April, on August 20th, 
July, whatever month it is, it's a long month. On July 25th, we're going to have the opportunity to go, to put the Great Commission into practice, to go into our neighborhood. Are we going to go? Are we going to be obedient? For the Ethiopian eunuch, I don't know if you know much about their story. I won't go into great detail, but um, just to kind of keep the story concise, we have children in the room. They can't have kids, right? The eunuch is never going to have a family, ever. He goes to Jerusalem to worship. He can't worship there because of what has been done to his body. Can't go to the temple. will have no family, nothing to carry on his name. Whatever he has earned, and he's in a high position, whatever he has earned, the position in his life, any wealth that he has ceases to exist when he dies because he cannot send it on because he has no family. And this guy is reading out of Isaiah 53, looking for hope, hope. Now, I'm going to speculate here a little bit as well. We do know for sure that he was reading out of the book of Isaiah. We know that he was wealthy. More than likely, most likely, he has read from chapter 1 to 53. The same thing we got here. He has read it all. He doesn't understand much of it. Needs somebody to help him out. He's got the entire scroll that he's reading through. He's got a little bit of ways to go. And Philip comes in and says, I'm willing to help you. And they continue to read. He said, who knows how long they sat together. But they continue to read. And so they're reading 53, they get through 53, they get through chapter 54, they get through chapter 55, and they come to chapter 56. So hang a right, I'm sorry, if you're, hang a left if you're still in Acts. Isaiah, chapter 56. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will uh, be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from my people, or from his people. And listen here. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. He's talking about family. He's not going to have, nothing is going, he's not going, his, his lineage ends. He's a dead tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will, give my, uh, I, will, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. This language is not just happenstance. This is, this is chosen for a reason. I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. You realize what hope this brings to a guy who has no hope. That he is joining a family that has a name. His name will run forever. What God is offering is a salvation that can never be taken away. And I just have this feeling in my mind, and I like to think that, that when they get to this in chapter 56, things begin to click for the Ethiopian who had no hope. No hope whatsoever. That the God who he tried to go worship but couldn't get into the, the temple because of who he was, 
that he can worship that guy. He has hope in salvation because God has offered and provided hope and provided a family, provided a lineage that the the Ethiopian would never have. You know, that's the story that God has given and gifted us to go proclaim is that there is hope. That's what we get to proclaim on July 25th is hope. As you go to lunch today, that is what you proclaim. Since you're going there anyway, proclaim hope. Will we be obedient, as Philip was, to rise and go? Jesus is the hope of salvation. And if you're here today and you've never come to faith in Christ, we always want to give the opportunity to. Today could be the day of your salvation. If you've never repented of your sin and trusted Jesus for salvation, there is hope for you. Just like there was hope for the Ethiopian. Just like there was hope for a 16-year-old boy in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. There is hope for you. There is hope for someone on one of these back roads that have two names that I can never keep straight. There is hope for that person. Will we be obedient and share the gospel? If you're here and you've never come to faith in Jesus, let today be the day of your salvation. Don't leave this place today without coming to know who Jesus is, that he has offered you freedom from sin, salvation, eternal life in heaven. It's the good news. It's the gospel that Jesus died for your sins so that you could live forever with him. Maybe you're here today, you've never come to that. We want to give you that opportunity to do so. Maybe you need somebody to talk to about that. I'll be down front here in a second as we move into a time of uh, uh, invitation here in just a second. Maybe, you got a, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, you can talk with them. Maybe it's a friend that invited you to church. You need to know how to come to faith in Jesus. There are a lot of people in this room who can help you get there. For the rest of us, are we going to be obedient? And since we're going wherever it is that we're going anyway, let's make a disciple. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. 
Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that He is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what He has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow Him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.